Good evening, everyone. I've called tonight's talk The New Life, La Vita Nuova, and looking at what I've written on the train coming up, which I often think is a bad idea to do it because you <coughs> see all the mistakes, as it were, but I, I, what I think I've done is to write a meditation on the substance of the Vita Nuova. But the ideas of the Vita Nuova will become more and more clear as we climb Mount Purgatory to the Garden of Earthly Innocence and Dante's reunion with Beatrice. And the deep implication of Beatrice as a vehicle for re revealing wisdom only comes clear when we get to paradise. The first little heading is Three Gardens, Three Worlds. In the Bible we find three important gardens of profound significance. These are the gardens of Eden, Gethsemane and the Resurrection. The first reminds us of a paradise once known but lost through our fascination <laughs> with the nature of good and evil. We may even recall our initial disobedience and turning of our backs on that which we knew to be right and true. The second speaks to us severely and supremely of the necessary effort of the will so vital for the spiritual journey. And like our Saviour, we have to learn, not my will be done, but thine. <clears throat> the third, Garden of the Resurrection, tells us quite plainly that like St. Mary Madeline, we may not grasp at or hold onto life in any way, especially the resurrected life, for life may only be shared Life is relationship with people, with the creation. These relationships are fundamental to our growth and understanding of love. When we say I, we re relate to this or that, to our neighbour or our beloved, to it or thou. We relate in vain when we try to possess or to hold. For even the realm of objects may not be possessed as the miser vainly thinks. We bring nothing into this world and we take nothing out of it except for our soul. Now these three gardens provide us with insight into the three great canticas of Dante's Commedia. In an early work, the Vita Nuova, the New Life, the poet comments on poetry written as a result of his meetings with Beatrice, Beatrice Portinari, a Florentine girl. She grew up to marry another man, but died young. However, she had unwittingly evoked in Dante nostalgia for paradise and a profound love that waned and perhaps perished a little after her death, but only later to mature and to aid his understanding of God. After her death, Dante's attention wandered to admire other women. He married and had four children. He fell from political grace and was exiled from his beloved Florence. He was to experience bitterness and poverty. His pride and often arrogant intellect, together with foolishness and a squandering of love once known, were all his faults. 
a love that he had once known intimately and which had helped him relate to the beauty known to a man for the feminine which awakes the spiritual within him, even the divine. He tried to rationalise Beatrice out of his system by understanding her as a stimulus to philosophical understanding. He frequented the schools of the Franciscans and Dominicans with their scholastic Aristotelian learning. He was also influenced by Cicero and especially Boethius, <coughs> especially the consolation of philosophy. Beatrice had become his lady philosophy. His poetic style changed from that of the Vita Nuova, and these later poems may be thought of as conveniently falling under three headings, which I shall call the smooth, the rough, and the hard. The smooth poems result from his immersion in philosophy, and 14 of these, since they are didactic works, he set out to make into a book with a commentary, very much like the Vita Nuova. And so he started to write the Convivio, or Banquet, in which he aimed to draw together all his philosophical knowledge. The project came to an end after the fourth treatise of a projected twelve. The rough poems are an exchange of mutual vituperation with his friend Forese Donati, who was related to his wife Gemma Donati, and who we shall meet in the Purgatorio. These tensioni, as they are called in Italian, accuse Forese of neglecting his wife, gluttony, theft, and even illeg illegitimacy. Forese scorns Dante's poverty, his cowardice, and even insults his father. These sonnets look forwards to the lower regions of hell with their comic and black humour. The hard poems were written for a beautiful young woman with a heart of stone, the so-called rime pietose, in the sense of lamentable or pitiful. Stylistically, they are related to the troubadour influence, and this fact, again in the Purgatorio, is reflected with Dante's meeting with the troubadour poet Arnold Daniel. The Donna Pietosa rejects Dante's love and drives him to desire revenge. Knowing her has been like a pitiless iron file rasping his very life away. These poems are much discussed and perplex commentators. I offer the following thought. Maybe there was indeed a young woman who rejected the infatuated poet's advances. However, women and the feminine in Dante's mind always worked on more levels than one. Could this hard stone, it's a pun on the word, her name, Pietra, meaning stone, and also Petronella, the feminine of Peter. Could this hard stone also relate to an aspect of his own intellect, the purely philosophical inquiry that was getting him nowhere? For example, Dante's great problem was trying to understand God's relation to matter and understanding what matter was. Something was wrong in his development and so he gave vent on the stony-hearted woman, the opposite to Boethius's lady of philosophical consolation. I have a little footnote here that I think is worth reading. Dante's intellectual problem at the time was relating the Christian doctrine of creatio ex nihilo with the various philosophical theories 
available to him. Scholasticism had moved to the argumentative at the expense of true insight. For example, the speculative theories of the philosophers could have easily confused the simple directness of ex nihilo, that everything exists that exists owes its being to God. As Andrew Louth writes, the implications of the doctrine of ex nihilo are endless. It means on one hand that everything we are, everything we might be, and more than that is or might be, or indeed has been, is rooted in God. On the other hand, if it is rooted in God, then we can trace something about the Creator in the created or order, or even more deeply. In the created order, we can encounter God himself, for creation reposes on nothing other than God. Well, towards the end of his life, um, as we will we'll find out as we rise through the heavens of Paradiso, Dante was ever able to reconcile the philosophy that he had been taught with the doctrine of ex nihilo, out of nothing. Dante had entered by midlife what he described as a dark wood. He had lost his way. His passionate life was ruled by many voices, or demons as the tradition calls them. The sins of self-indulgence, first-hand knowledge of the world's violence and proud incontinence, together with its avarice and malicious fraud, barred him from spiritual progress. In particular, that essential knowing again of the innocence of vision that had been granted him with his meetings with Beatrice. The dark wood was his Gethsemane, the condition of his soul where he had to begin to undo the grasping of his own will and make that necessary inner space for God's will to be done. There, lost in the dark wood, thoroughly miserable, figuratively lacerated by the thorns of the wood's brambles, he had to agree with himself to make the first stirrings of the gift of free will in order to set his life aright. He had once more to use the good of the intellect, il ben dell'intelletto, learn to collaborate with grace rather than intellectually, intellectually kicking against it and thereby set out to become a pilgrim rather than an intellectual freak. And to become a pilgrim implies repentance, that is, acknowledgement of the true nature of sin, within and without. In other words, he had to know himself, to acknowledge the world for what it is, the fullness of his egotistical selfhood, and its interreaction with life and its relationships to others. Hell is the loss of Eden. Purgatory is our Gethsemane. Paradise is our being lifted up to the reality of the resurrection and thereby being transfigured, or using Dante's word transhumanized, transhumana, in the glory of the light of Christ. The next heading is the new life. When setting out to study the Commedia, it is wise to acquaint oneself with La Vita Nuova. It is a unique book, an excellent antidote for our oversexed wayward world. The book is small, easily held in the hand, and the Victorians love publishing attractive editions of the text 
which may still be found in second-hand bookshops. The Vita Nuova consists of 42 sections that are in the main commentaries on poems inspired mainly by Beatrice. The text is similar in feel to the Commedia and has that Augustinian quality of personal directness of confession. With the Vita we are curiously at home. Its analysis of emotional states rings true. It is as if the West's own literary tradition has begun in earnest, as opposed to the world of the classics, ancient myths or medieval romance. Dante later judged the work as adolescent, fervida e passionata. That's in the convivium. He goes on, I was by natural ability, not by study, already seeing many things as in a dream. For Dante, dreams help to teach us our mortality. This is because dreams may reach and somehow touch those worlds generally hidden from us. They may bridge from, the mere, from mere fantasy to the imagination as the faculty for intuitive inspiration or enlightenment. Lower dreams trap the fantasy into realms of, ne realms of negativity and delude the self. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of us all? <clears throat> Thus the cleansing of the negative aspect of dreams for Dante was of paramount importance. <coughs> Hell is the realm of bad and evil dreams. Purgatory, as we shall see, is where dreams are purified so that they may become mirror-like to the heavenly worlds. Dante took very seriously indeed this aspect of the cleansing of the psyche. Dante's judgment of the Vita Nuova made midway through his life as an adolescent book, he would in time have to come to regret and regain something of its true essence, that is, its innocence, as he gradually and painfully made his way back to Beatrice. The first words of La Vita Nuova are, In the book of my memory, after the first pages, which are almost blank, there is a section headed Incipit Vita Nova. Beneath this heading I find the words which it is my intention to copy into this smaller book, if not all, at least their meaning. Here we have two words essential for understanding the poet and the centre from which he writes. Memory and meaning. The first word, memory, we have already touched on into, into the, in the introduction. As for the second, meaning, the translation from the Italian is nearly too light for the word <coughs> sentenza, which has an import of substance, of essence. Let's look at memory to start. Memory for Dante is the wholeness of our consciousness, our whole mind, and yet more. In this he is following St. Augustine, his unnamed mentor or tutor. Augustine writes, I shall mount beyond this power of my nature, still rising by degrees towards him who made me. And so I come to the fields and vast palaces of memory. For Augustine, the whole universe is embraced by his memory. Everything that he has experienced or can imagine, and so it is with Dante. Augustine writes in his Confessions, Great is the power of memory, 
exceedingly great, O my God, a spreading limitless room within me. Who can reach its uttermost depth? Yet it is a faculty of my soul and belongs to my nature. In fact, I cannot totally grasp all that I am. Thus the mind is not large enough to contain itself. But how can it not contain itself? How can there be any of itself that is not in itself? As this question struck me, I was overcome with wonder and almost with stupor. Augustine and Dante understood the Western Latin understanding of the mind as falling short of the Eastern Greek concept of the nous, the intellect, the highest part of our being, which derives from God. The intellect, in this sense, has as its object the true, the good, and the beautiful, in the Platonic sense, and wisdom in the Hebraic sense. And Christianity, as it is to be found in the writings of the early fathers, became an amalgam, amalgam of Greek thought of their period and the revelation and teaching of the Bible. Our intellect, therefore, for Augustine and Dante, gives us affinity with the angels. It relates us to heaven in the Hebraic sense and the realm of the archetypes in the Platonic sense. The gift of memory was thus, in accordance with Aristotle, a particular gift to mankind, the mother of, our, of the muses, our inspiration. The right use of memory then may transform us, lead us on to embrace new levels of insights. For example, Dante is transformed away from the conventions of a courtly lover to the understanding of his love for a particular girl as a way to beatitude. Furthermore, the Vita Nuova underlines the concept that historical time the here and now provides us with moments of revelation. Our experience of love is one thing, but experience must be distilled in the memory for a balanced judgment to be formed. And Dante is teaching his readers that they too, like himself, must see their own four score years and ten their own history, like biblical time, involving them in encounters and revelations. Their personal history is thus related to sacred time, kairos, in order to interpret it aright, they are dependent on the right use of the intellect, nous. Perhaps a modern example will help. T.S. Eliot's poems have the Augustinian confessional quality. In the wasteland there begins the understanding that time is not mere chronos, birth, copulation, death, but kairos, sacred time, that is, when the eternal may intersect with ordinary time of days, hours, minutes, even seconds. With the four quartets, Eliot has, like Dante, withdrawn in order to understand. He has recalled times past, embraced the present, and contemplated the future in the context of the past. In other words, memory has involved him in judgment subtlety of mind, an act of both spirit and intellect, poetry, art in the deepest sense. Memory and intellect 
are both concerned with seeing aright. They flood us with ideas. And the word idea means simply to see. And so we are led to the concept of vision. And indeed, we speak of Dante's vision. Charles Williams has insisted that Dante is the master of affirmations as opposed to the apophatic theology of the Orthodox Fathers. Dante, in the throes of an age of visions, prophecies, psychic delusions, is very much concerned with seeing aright, escaping the dark wood, approaching the meaning of Calvary and the Resurrection. Dante is far, far more than a medieval visionary. He is a master of the ancient psychology of the soul. And what he has to say to us is in, as important today as it was yesterday. He is concerned with the perennial, not the ephemeral. Even the word perennial falls short, for his ultimate concern is with the eternal. There can be no knowledge of the soul except through the recovery, so says Dante, of the good, il ben, of the intellect. And here it is helpful to remember that good is linked to the old English root of gut. I hope I pronounced it more or less correctly. In other words, we may only know goodness through God's blessing. The intellect, in Dante's sense, is the fine point of the soul, the root from which may, we may grow and yearn for all things true. As we shall see, the good of the intellect once regains, reunites the soul to Beatrice, wisdom, as, and is infused with grace to participate in and to become transfigured by the uncreated light of the transfiguration. Dante is telling his reader that our childhood memories of beauty and love he was nine or ten when he first saw Beatrice and fell in love, have in the scheme of things profound significance. They are the root from which we grow. Childhood innocence for him is sacrosanct and most certainly not to be perverted. In the Paradiso he writes, Fede e innocenza son riperte solo nei pavoletti poi ciascuna pria fugge che le guance siano coperte. Faith and innocence are found only in little children. Then each flies away before the cheeks are covered. He means with stubble. Here are parallels with our dear and beloved Thomas Traherne. And the reader should familiarise him or herself with the well-known third meditation of the third century of meditations. The following meditation is a poem of Traherne's in which we read, He in our childhood with us walks, and with our, and with our thought mysteriously he talks. He often visiteth our minds, but cold acceptance in us ever finds. We send him often grieved away. <coughs> Who else would show us all his kingdom's joy? <coughs> the Vita Nuova is the record of a privileged experience rooted in the author's life. It records a memory which haunted his mind and which was to lead him on to the discovery of wisdom. Beatrice and wisdom are synonymous ultimately in his mind. For she is a treasure unto men that never faileth, which they that use 
become partakers of the friendship of God. Wisdom 7 verse 14. Now we come on to meaning. As we have seen, the substance of a matter was of prime importance to Dante. By this he did not intend a scientific quest into the workings of this or that, though you can find all the scientific theories of the day in the Divine Comedy. He meant rather the pursuit of the qualitative rather than the quantitative. The meaning of, of matter was the substance or essence of an aspect of life. Dante embraced all the learning at his disposition in order to understand the meaning of Beatrice. Today we would analyse her away as a phantom of adolescence. Grow up, my boy. That wasn't good enough for Dante. It was a far too easy word of advice. It smacked of the way of the world and not of God. By meaning, he meant regaining the good of the intellect, the good that he in time came to squander. Only thus, thus would he be able to regain wisdom and open his heart to grace. In the Vita Nuova, he writes, She was called Beatrice by many who did not know what it means to call her by this. Dante is here implying, totally in agreement with biblical teaching, that the name of a person indicates a quality and that we should be aware of the qualities of names. In the Christian family, we choose the names of our children because we wish not only their patron saint to look after them, but because of the meaning of the name. Clearly, the name of Beatrice means blessing and benedizione, blessed, benedetto, or benedetta I should say in the context, beatitude, beatudine, well-being, benessere. But how many in the marketplace of life realize that this girl could become a blessing not only to Dante but also to many others over the centuries thanks to the Divine Comedy. Beatrice has every right to become for Dante la gloriosa donna della mia mente, the glorious lady of my mind. Here the word gloriosa stands for more than that which at first meets the eye. Biblically, glory signifies the worth of a person. Solomon in all his glory suggests wealth and luxury. But the glory of God signifies simply what the word says, glory, the inner worth of the deity. The concept becomes too much for the mind, hence the glory was associated with the Shekinah, the presence of God with his people. It was understood as light, in Christian terms the light of the transfiguration in which Christians are called to share. So when Dante calls Beatrice the glorious lady of his mind, he means that she has bestowed on him his worth, his true substance. If our neighbour is Christ, then our earthly beloved is certainly a veiled mystery of Christ, revealed through devoted love. Names should never be lightly used, for they may invoke the essence of a person. Hence the awe associated in the Old Testament with the divine name and the reverence we give as Christians the name of our Lord. 
to use it in vain is blasphemy. Dante would have said on a much humbler level that to misuse any name amounts to being blasphemous. It is only after pondering on the meaning of Beatrice that we realise for Dante she gradually became after her death a veil for the presence of God. She became the vehicle whereby he came to understand the creation as sacrament. She was in her earthly life the outward sign for means of inward grace. After her death, her presence was to take up its abode in all that Dante perceived to be true, good and beautiful. She had been his burning bush from which the Lord God had addressed him according to his level of consciousness and by which he was to come and know the sentenza or meaning or substance of all things. Love. Love is always an epiphany. That is the manifestation of the true order and source of the gift. It is seen just as Moses witnessed the burning bush from which the divine mystery of being addressed him. To behold beauty awakens the spirit. The very fibres of our body tremble. The mind seems to leap mountains and the soul glows acknowledging the light known. Dante is emphatic. He was overwhelmed by Beatrice's beauty. His heart, where dwells what he calls the vital spirit, the very organ of our mortality and the passions of our soul, was profoundly moved. And this, the most secret chamber, heard spoke in its depths, Ecce Deus fortiome qui veniens dominabitur mihi. Behold a God mightier than I, who is come to master me. <coughs> to betray our epiphany of love is to betray our God, a sin against the Holy Spirit, who will pour out on us the mystery of grace. Dante's head and brain wheeled in amazement. The centre to which all sense perceptions, the animal spirit as he calls it, carry their perceptions. They likewise heard words spoken. Aparawit yam sorry, yam aparawit yam beatitudo vestra. Now hath your blessedness appeared. He goes on. His liver, all his digestive system, the centre of the natural spirit, trembled and heard spoken, Oi miser, quia frequente impeditus erodenceps. Ah, oh, wretch, from henceforth I shall be impeded. Like the prophet Jeremiah, his very bowels had been touched by the mystery of love. And those three quotations in Latin come right at the beginning of the Vita Nuova. No wonder Dante cries out, Dalori nansi dico camori signore gio l'anima mia. From then on, then on I tell you, love ruled my soul. Step aside for a moment and look at a devotion that came into being roughly about the time of Dante, the rosary, the Western rosary, and consider the joyful mysteries, that is the Annunciation, Visitation, Nativity, Circumcision and Finding and Teaching in the Temple. Those mysteries, the joyful mysteries, Dante, I'm sure, would say to us, 
need to be known even by us poor creatures through love. We are overwhelmed by the Spirit and, the, and then the Christ is born in us. Through the acknowledgement of love. We too at the sight of beauty will feel his presence leap within us. He longs to be born into our life here and now. We must not look backwards or like Orpheus we shall lose our love. Our hearts have to be circumcised. We must submit ourselves to the laws of love and be set aside for in a curious way we have been chosen, touched by love. Throughout our lives, as with Dante, we shall find love, or Christ, teaching us in the temple of our bodies. We earn stray only to suffer and learn the hard way and are brought back to the fold. The pilgrim soul is kept safe by the Good Shepherd. How may we speak of this love for Beatrice of which Dante speaks? It's all too easy to fall back on Greek ideas of Eros at the exclusion of Agape or explain away Eros in favour of Agape. The more we attempt to think in Greek philosophical terms or troubadour conventions of the time, the more we shall be tempted to break Dante's love down into convenient compartments with labels and thereby isolate ourselves from it and the power which overwhelmed him. It is best to start from first principles and ask what was the poet's fulfilled vision. It was nothing less than paradise, the angelic intelligences, the saints, the blessed, even the mother of God, and ultimately insight into the mystery of the Holy Trinity. In all these degrees, Beatrice was involved from his salvation from the dark world of this world the ministry of Virgil, down hell's abyss and up purgatory's cornices, back to the garden of earthly innocence and his reunion with his beloved. Dante's love for Beatrice was therefore biblical in essence, that is, the encounter of a person with an epiphany, a revelation of God. Furthermore, Beatrice, before her death, was most certainly a Florentine girl, flesh and blood, someone known and loved. This fact is inescapable. Just an aside here, um, from about 17, shall we say, 80, when Dante was rediscovered by the early Romantics, right through the 1800s, there was a whole school of philosophy that saw Beatrice simply as standing for, I don't know, philosophy or wisdom or the political unity of Italy. But when um, Jacobo Dante, that's his son's life of Dante, re was rediscovered, his son says quite clearly there that Beatrice existed and gives us her name. So we are talking not about a, a fantasy, but an actual meeting or encounter. <clears throat> Biblical love is essentially hidden in the mystery of God and his people. Individuals are called to work out his meaning through life, through their neighbours. Hands have to get dirty and honest sweat may pour from the forehead. It is emphatically not an exercise in Greek philosophy or any other gnosis for that matter. Abraham and Moses responded 
to deep intuitions of vocation. Hosea, the prophet Hosea, married a pagan temple prostitute and was thereby taught the love of the Lord God for his people. And Hosea is emphatic. Such love is a knowing which is as intimate as the physical love between husband and wife. It is as physical and as erotic as the love expressed in the Song of Songs. God's love is not a philosophical proposition. It is far more than a mental state. It is known in the gut or the bowels as lamented Jeremiah. Dante's initial condition was certainly not only of the spirit and mind, but also of the body. He dreamt archetypal dreams and was faint and ill with love. And this love, initially calf love, was of God, not the property of some analyst. God is not mocked. He is the author and finisher of love what we think to be our small Werther-like narcissistic love is only the first step or encounter from which we must grow into the fullness of love. This is if we have the courage. And that's one thing that, that um, Virgil keeps on saying to, to Dante throughout the whole of hell. You, you're a coward. You haven't got the courage to respond to... to, to to the mystery of love. You're a coward. You'll we'll come across that as we go along. At the heart of all this business is, as Dante realized, free will response to the overwhelming question as to whether we have the resolve and intention to set out on love's journey that has been proposed to us. Now how does this love begin? It is through an act of seeing. We have to see the kingdom, as Christ says. It is not some fantasy or pipe dream. How can one know the kingdom without first having had a glimpse of it, however brief? Here I can only speak as a man, and I know that one may see that one may see uh, what has to be a reflection of the kingdom in and through and by the beloved. Of course it is a veiled knowing, a knowing as through a melody of great beauty. Therefore to see is the first step in knowing. The eyes, says Dante, are the mirrors of the soul and through the eyes our beloved looks out towards her through the eyes, our beloved looks out towards her lover. There's an exchange of energy. The spiritelli shot through the eyes, are shot through the eyes. It is thus that the heart, the deep centre of our being, is set aflame. Through the gift of the eyes, the beloved looks into the depths of our soul and we exchange the glance and look into our beloved and no. Dante puts it this way, the sparkling clear eyes of the beloved send uncreated, in the materialistic sense, energies, spiritelli. These enter the lover's eyes and wound the heart, which never may be the same again. The heart may only respond with courtesy and thereby begin to learn the initiation afforded to a life aspiring to agape. This knowing is acknowledged through the beauty of the mouth, for it smiles and greets. We begin to hear it for the first time, and words seem to be set to melodies of infinite beauty. Through love, the poet may be awoken within us all, even in time, the prophet. Perhaps the lips will meet in a brace, breath exchanged, 
to together with the knowing of the completion of oneself in the other, the wholeness, the gift of touch which, which resonates, completes, knows and is grateful. Such love awakens life within us. But like foolish little children, too, too often we erroneously think that it's all mine and we can possess it and have it. But, as Dante teaches, we have to lose in order to find. And here is the rub, for it is the Lord of romantic love that the beloved is removed from us, sometimes by death, as in the case of Dante, but more likely by deceit, betrayal, rebuff, or whatever. Dante's, Beatrice, sorry, Beatrice's death was followed by his professional disaster, his total humiliation and bitter exile. Curiously, the lover is left with nothing. One fiasco follows another. And few poets have caught the condition better than Goethe in his poem Heartsreiser in Winter, in Winter. He who has had his head crushed by love strives against his fate. As if destiny's thread has been severed, he turns aside and his path wanders into the undergrowth of the dark wood that grows without hell's portals. Soon he is lost and the wilderness swallows him up. I read you an English translation uh, which... Um, um, Brahms, of course, set to marvellous music in the Outer Rhapsody. But who is this who has turned aside? Just apply these words to Dante. His path wanders into the undergrowth and is lost. The bushes close and the grass rises again behind him. The wilderness swallows him up. Ah, who shall heal his pain? whose balm turned to poison, who drank his hatred for mankind from the fullness of love. First scorned, now a scorner, he secretly devours an unsatisfied egoist and all that is good in himself. Another aspect of Dante's teaching, the concept of amor, is very closely related to the, la to the concept of morse, love, death. To encounter love, amor, the love that springs from the power of the imagination, is to know the filter through which all things must pass in order to be rightly known. Love is the true and only burnisher of the mind. Love also implies to come face to face with death, morse. For the dying to oneself begins, uh, for the dying to oneself and acknowledging, acknowledging our mortality has to be recognized. Love strikes at the heart, our will, its freedom. The only option is to grow inwardly, spiritually, to search for God, the author and finisher of our love, or like Werther, commit suicide. Dante is blunt. It is through our beloved that we are beginning to behold the Lord. At first, we, like the poet, are confused. Who is this Lord of love? Is he the winged Eros? An angel or a spirit? Who is he? Dante noted that at first it seemed to spring from the power of the imagination. La virtù che gli dava la mia immaginazione. Whoever the Lord was, he knew that he was the filter through which he had to let his experience pass. Fedele consiglio della cagione. Soon he recognised that it was the Lord of Love 
that in this Lord of Love, the imagination and reason met and found balance as complementary energies of the mind rather than irreconcilable opposites. Progressively, his Lord of Love revealed himself as Christ. This was brought about to his surprise through various persons, a boy, a pilgrim, a man, those people we meet along the way of life. Knowing his Lord demanded that he increased in courtesy and in virtu, virtue, that is, true virility, manliness. As such, it's a unifying quality given to our lives. It is the real energy known in relationship to the other. It demands ability, chastity and courtesy. Virtu, according to Dante, overcomes the caprices, the, the, the caprices of fortune or fate. Beatrice's death became the means for his spiritual growth. Exile was turned into an earthly purgatory whereby his vision was refined. Thus the beauty of Beatrice was, or should we say, is fundamental to civilization, an essential quality that has to be sought for in both civic and private life. And the Vita Nuova indicates three stages in the poet's growth through the figure of Beatrice. At first, he relates to Beatrice in a limited, egotistical, possessive way. Beatrice's death shook him out of this condition. Next, Beatrice is gradually universalized in his mind through the maturing of the good of his intellect. And by the end of the book, Beatrice has become to be known as a messenger or agent of the divine Sophia or wisdom. She has become the mirror in which we know ourselves. And finally, to conclude, we will think about the convivial or the banquet. <coughs> Dante, as we have already noted, like us all, thought he could overcome his, addition, his condition through reasoning and an analysis, thereby protecting himself from Beatrice by reducing her to simply an idea. <clears throat> so he set out to make a meal, a convivial of his thoughts. Philosophy and analysis, he thought, responding to all that their knowledge available to him would surely do the trick. Do not get me wrong, the convivio is filled with knowledge. Dante once more, as in the Vita Nuova, sets out to analyse his poetry. His prose, however, now lacks the lightness of touch of the earlier work, and his intellect leads him here and there, looking into this or that. It's rather like being in Faust's library, filled with learned books, and where Mephistopheles may emerge from the dark corners and taunt the erudite man shuffling about in his doctorate, his doctorate garb. How many are these libraries throughout the world, from museums to the very shelves that fill our own rooms at home? They are like fragments of a great confession, that somehow we've been unable to make. Mephistopheles knows the situation only too well and will, and if we allow him, wiggle his way into our reasonings. And this is exactly what happens in the Convivium. I read <coughs> in English Faust, part one, lines 6,637 to 41. I know it well, to be far along in years and still a student, in fact an old moss bank, 
Even a man of learning goes on studying because there's nothing else he can do. One builds a modest, modest house of cards, but even the greatest mind can never complete it. It was an act of mercy that the convivial or banquet was never completed. Otherwise Dante would have been left a bitter man, the mere academic twist of the mind with a modest house of cards. If he was to know the fullness of figure of Beatrice, then he would have to plunge deep into his inner suffering, failures, bitterness, indeed his sinful self, and through grace and his genius as a poet. He would have to turn metanoia and say in memorable verses to the world what he had originally intended to say at the end of Vita Nuova find the courage to say that, as he says, which has never been said of a woman before or since. The pilgrim may not become a bermuster hare. He has to move on. The convivio, as written, is certainly illuminating from an autobiographical and literary point of view. And the work helps us to bridge from the Vita Nuova to the Commedia. Furthermore, the Commedia is an important book for helping us trace out essential outlines of Dante's philosophical knowledge and outlook. And we shall not lose sight of it, I promise you. And we shall come back to it and its importance at the beginning of the Purgatorio. The Mirabil Visione the admirable vision granted the poet at the conclusion of the Vita Nuova would not let him sideline into easy questions. He had been called to write Quello che mai fu detto d'alcuna, that which has never been said of a woman before. In no way could he forget his knowing of Beatrice. She had been and was still the epiphany whereby God wished to reveal himself to him. The more he shielded his eyes from the glory he had once known as a child and a young man, the more he seemed to fail in the world to the point of being driven into exile and becoming tangled in the passions of his emotional life. Many voices spoke within him. He was divided and could not stand whole. Infernal voices addressed him, drowning out the good. He lacked right intention. The embittered heart that Goethe so admirably describes is the beginning of the melting down of the childish sense of mind, that grasping that lingers on forming the hardness of our selfhood. Like some coarse material in alchemy, the inner life has to be purged of defects for the real, real work to begin. It is no laughing matter, though the world may scorn and joke. To descend in order to ascend, to know hell, that of others as well as the one of one's own making requires the fullness of the good of the intellect and faith and hope in things unseen. It is no joking matter. It is necessary to recognise that the world is not so much a dark prison, a cave, where prisoners are for the most part beguiled by the shadows cast on the wall but a rite of passage. For the pilgrim soul, it is more of a dark route by which he has to move on and decipher within the great work of faith. In thy light there is no darkness, and thus the cave's dark passage opens out to where one may once more regain the light of the stars.
in this work of finding, through grace, the courage to move on. Every detail is important. All matters reveal themselves to have meaning. Each person becomes important in their own way. Each necessary to the path that we are treading. Curiously, for who are we to presume? It is a work we compose together with God in a living dialogue. It is thus that we come to know the God of Abraham. If you translate as well as you can <clears throat> the divine name, it means something like, I am that I will be, here or there. In other words, there's no escape. Dante is emphatic from the outset. The dark wood into which his life has led him had left him impotent, useless, a wanderer, a lost soul. The re reawakening of the good of the intellect within, within him, the role played by Virgil, was beyond his powers. It had first to be stimulated by grace. The care of the Mother of God, St. Lucy and Beatrice. The good of the intellect, that's Virgil, came to him as of the voice of one who seemed faint through long silence. Chi per lungo silenzio parea fiocco. Today we speak much of the intellect, but have forgotten what Dante meant by the good of the intellect. But these thoughts have taken us on to the first canto of the Inferno, which I will talk about next week. Thank you very much.